0: Well, most of us have some kind of Christmas traditions that we celebrate year after year that bring us great joy. Perhaps some of them started even before you can remember, maybe going to your grandparents, watching a classic Christmas movie like It's a Wonderful Life or Christmas Vacation, baking a special cookie or candy from a time-honored family recipe. Perhaps you read a certain book or retell a certain story or revisit a special place. Perhaps you adventure and cut down your own tree or you you make or you buy a new ornament or you decorate inside or outside in a special way i i just trust that this year's advent celebrations will allow you to 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 practice those traditions in a way that brings you great joy for many years our family's christmas dinner has been fondue it's the only time of year we eat this way but under the warm glow of candlelight, we enjoy chicken and beef and pork and shrimp impaled on the ends of special forks stuck in a pot of oil. Uh, this is our family table set from just last year. Um, accompanied by potatoes and fresh vegetables and my wife's famous tapioca jello. And this wonderful experience around the table is then um, followed by the a, a reading of the Christmas story And then each person in our family has a time of reflecting on the events of the last year and sharing their hopes and dreams for the year to come. It's a time of great joy. We're looking forward to it again this year as we'll have one day when all of our children being home will overlap. This morning, we're continuing our series of Advent messages that we've titled The Four Words for Christmas. Advent means coming. Or arrival. And in the church, it refers specifically to the four Sundays before Christmas. And for about a thousand years now, the church has used the Advent season to celebrate the incarnation, the arrival or the coming of God himself to the earth in human form. In its simplest form, in, in, at the very core, Advent is about simple truths four that we're celebrating, hope and joy and family and love. Now, last week we learned how the Christmas story, with which we're largely familiar, is actually but one chapter of a much grander narrative that begins in the ageless past and will conclude in the age to come. But it's a narrative that's filled with hope, hope that things don't always have to stay the way they are. And today we'll discover that Advent's about joy in the earliest announcements of the Incarnation, and then continuing through the centuries in what Christ followers have been invited to experience. Now, next Sunday, the 15th of December, we'll celebrate family with the Vineyard Kids Program. Uh, they'll actually be, uh, in a dramatic fashion, retelling the Christmas story and then leading us in worship, which will be a great joy, and you're all invited to a free lunch after the service that day. Hey, you know, where's the free lunch in America? It's here at the Peoria Vineyard. And then we'll conclude our Advent celebrations on, um, Christmas Eve with a 4 p.m. candlelight service. And, uh, did your program today have a, an invitation in it? Yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, several. Just to remind you to be mindful of those around you who, who, uh, could potentially respond. You know, you, uh, as I've said before, a sincere invitation communicates that you care. And there are other invitations, extras printed, that are back there in the info center. Uh, you can grab a handful of those. Uh, if you're passing out cookies with the Women's Exchange, you may take a, a few of those invites to hand with the cookies you pass out. Uh, but that'll be uh, 4 p.m. on Christmas Eve. Let's pray together. Lord, the start of this brand new week, we want to say thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for light. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for coming to pitch your tent among men. That you're not a God uh, far away and distant and uninvolved in our lives, but you're a, a God who took on flesh and experienced the, the joy and the, and the struggle, the victory and the, and the defeat that we experience as people. Thank you. And at the start of this week, Lord, we, we gather together to say, may your kingdom come. Bring your kingdom in all the ways you know we so desperately need. And not just us, Lord, but our kids right next door in Vineyard Kids. I pray you'd fill them with hope and joy today, too. Uh, Lord, that we we could know that following you is um, the greatest journey of a lifetime. Put power on your word to our life today is our prayer in your name. Amen. Everybody wants Christmas to be a joyful time, don't we? A layer of fresh white powder, just enough to go sledding, but not enough to ice up the roads. Maybe a Christmas bonus that you weren't expecting, or an extra day off with pay. Kids who are polite, immediately obedient, and grateful for their presence. Relatives that get along for at least one whole day. You know, And if we could, we'd probably pass a law on Christmas that nobody would get stranded at the airport trying to get home. Nobody would get sick. Every shirt or pair of jeans would fit just right. The van would always start. The baby would take a nap right on schedule, wake up cheerful, and every dad would volunteer to change every diaper. But it rarely happens that way, does it? The weather turns nasty. Somebody drinks a little too much spiked eggnog and says something ugly. You know, that, that awesome present that you had chosen with such great care receives kind of a ho-hum acknowledgement. Your kids are gnarly, particularly disobedient, you know, and an embarrassment. Your, your calendar is chock full from the parties and the recitals and the programs and the concerts, the cooking and the baking and the cleaning and the shopping and the, and the wrapping and the packing to travel. And you know, you, 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 you finish decorating the tree and the house and you slide into Christmas Eve and you're just stressed out and, and exhausted. Millions of people get to Christmas Eve with a letdown. Truth be told. In fact, for a number of people in many ways, the entire holiday is simply not too joyful. It's one of the most difficult times of year for many people, perhaps you included. Painful memories. Uh, especially uh, of the passing away of a of a loved one, or whose presence you will miss at the family gathering this year, a deep sense of regret, perhaps disappointment that yet another year you're still single, temptation to give up your sobriety, or uh, the complications that divorce have, has created for your family at this time of year. It's not good news of great joy, but you know what the first Christmas was actually anything but joyful. No jingle bells, no festive parties, no uh, glittering packages with satin bows. It was really kind of a mess when you get right down to it. Now, our nativity scenes and Christmas cards are always really clean and antiseptic, aren't they? Quiet, reposing animals there in a squeaky clean, fresh hay-filled stable with a warm glow of a lantern as the first-time parents, Mary and Joseph, uh, smiling peacefully. Or perhaps your picture-perfect family, you know, dressed in L.L. Bean's best as they uh, skate on the frozen pond in the back 40 acres of their wooded estate with snow snow uh drifted trees. Maybe it's Pinterest worthy tables or house decor. I don't know if Pinterest is a blessing or a cursing. Do you? I'm working on a sermon called Pinterest and Facebook Envy, where you know you you look at how you think everybody's life is and how yours ought to be. Well that's another subject. Philip Yancey the cries in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, I quote, We observe a mellow, domesticated holiday purged of any hint of scandal. But the first Christmas is actually very messy. So here's Joseph and Mary, a young, engaged Jewish couple, confused not knowing what in the world to make of this scandalous, unplanned, and before-the-wedding pregnancy. Nobody believed their story. Oh, yeah, right, Joseph. <laughs> yeah, you get it. It, it. God did this. Yeah, right. The IRS had ordered every citizen to return to their ancestral hometown, which meant for Joseph and Mary, they had to travel 75 miles, uh, presumably on foot or by donkey, from Nazareth in Galilee to Bethlehem in Judea. So that'd be like, you know, heading out today south to Springfield or, you know, southeast on 74 to Farmer City or, you know, north to LaSalle, Peru. That That's the context. They arrived at Bethlehem exhausted. She's probably irritated and frightened. He's nervous. All the hotels are already jammed. You couldn't just log in, you know, to Priceline.com and make a reservation. You showed up and hoped there was room. This is not how expectant mothers anticipate their first experience of delivery. Away from home, away from your doctor, away from your mother, the midwife in the nursery. Well, the desperate father-to-be managed to find a manure-filled hillside animal shelter for lodging. Have any of you ever worked or played with hay or straw, like when you were kids in the hay mow in a barn? Yeah, you know that stuff is nasty. It, it It is like, it makes you itch and sneeze, and it is far from comfortable. You get the picture. And then the Gospel of Luke tells us that the labor pangs began. Luke 2, 6. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her first child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger. That's a feeding trough because there was no lodging available for them. So no ice chips for her thirst, no epidural. No comforts of modern hospital delivery. And we don't even like to imagine the the mess that the water and the blood and the meconium must have made. Friends, if you've not experienced it, birth is a messy process in the best of environments. You know, we just don't like to think about that in in, in the original Christmas story. It's messy. The whole story is messy. Joseph probably used a flint knife to cut the cord as they huddled together, wondering what in the world to make of this whole deal. The incarnation teaches us that Christmas isn't about getting everything perfect. In fact, it's just the opposite. It's about God stepping into a messed up, broken, and sin-cursed world in an offbeat and unexpected manner to make things right to change everything, and today God continues to come and invade our difficult and challenging life circumstances that we all face in this present evil world, and that is a reason for joy. So Christmas, it's a messy, complicated, scandalous story, but it's grounds for real joy. What's joy? Extraordinary enthusiasm for life, for being alive. It's being profoundly grateful to God from whom every blessing in life comes. It's it's joy. In fact, when we look at the record of the incarnation in the the Gospels, there are three notable expressions of joy praise, and rejoicing. I'd like to look at those with you this morning. The first uh, came with the Virgin Mary's miracle. Now, today in the United States, where over a million teenage girls uh, get pregnant out of wedlock each year, Mary's predicament has undoubtedly lost a great deal of its force. But in a closely knit Jewish community in the first century, the news that the angel Gabriel brought to Mary would not have been entirely welcome. In fact, the Jewish religious law of the day considered an engaged woman who became pregnant an adulteress, and she could have been stoned. So Luke tells us that Mary, perhaps fearful for her very life, hurried off to visit her relative, her Aunt Elizabeth who also had become pregnant through an angelic visitation. And when Mary arrived, Elizabeth greeted her and exclaimed, God has blessed you above all women. When you came in and greeted me, my baby jumped for joy. The instant I heard your voice. To which Mary responded, Oh, how I praise the Lord, how I rejoice. In God my savior. So Mary experienced great joy. The second expression came with the angels in the sky and the shepherds in the field. We read these familiar words in Luke chapter two. That night there were some shepherds in the fields nearby guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased." So it was this crew of toughened outdoorsmen who were working the third shift that were chosen to first hear the good news of God's arrival on the planet. And when the angels lit up the the night landscape and announced. The good news of great joy, the shepherds were terribly frightened. I guess so. We can't even quite imagine what they would have been experiencing. But then the gospel choir, unlike anything we could ever imagine, reassured them that uh, it was all okay. They became excited and said to one another, come on, let's go to Bethlehem and see for ourselves this thing that the angels have told us about. And so they hurried to the village. They found Mary and Joseph. We're not quite sure how. But uh, when they arrived, the story continues. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds' story were astonished. Shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they'd seen and heard. It was just as the angel had told them. So the shepherds experienced great joy. And then the third expression came with what we might call the wise worshipers. Here's how Matthew's gospel describes that. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where's the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his stars that rose, and we've come to worship him. After this interview with King Herod, the wise men went their way. And the star that they'd seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, this is quite unlike the blue-collar ranchers who were on the quiet hillside in the middle of the night, minding their own business when they were interrupted by, by that well-rehearsed celestial choir. Th- this was radically different. These were members of a priestly religious caste, lived in Persia, modern-day Turkey or Iran. Uh, they set out on a deliberate journey for the purposes of discovering and worshiping this new baby king. Now, to begin with, we don't know that there were only three. That's just tradition. So, unlike all the nativity sets you'd ever seen, just can the notion of three. And actually, they probably weren't there. They, they arrived probably several years later, uh, and uh, they approached the house where Jesus was now living with his parents. It was several years later. Tradition tells us, though, that the Wise men studied astrology, perhaps worst elements. They claimed the ability to to interpret prophetic dreams and omens. You have to think about the incredible sacrifice that they would have made to have conducted this journey. You know, uh, they didn't just open up Google Maps, pop open the smartphone, hop in the SUV, get on the interstate, and then stop at Arby's for a roast beef, fries, and shake when they were a little thirsty. It didn't work that way. Incredibly sacrificial. This cross country journey would have rivaled any national geographic expedition you've seen on Discovery. The text reads that when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. It wasn't a distant supernova that they saw through a telescope, but evidently it was some kind of a natural, supernatural Light that both captured their attention and then moved in close enough proximity to actually guide them across the Sinai Peninsula to the exact house where Jesus was. And when they finally arrived and entered, they fell down and worshipped this baby king, and then they presented their costly gifts so we see the wise worshipers experienced great joy. Now, we don't really know how much Mary or Elizabeth or the shepherds or the wise men understood at the moment. What we do know is that it took the rest of the people in Israel quite a long time to actually figure things out, Uh, 30 years, in fact. And the fact remains that we're still unpacking what uh, Jesus's arrival means. Now, 2,000 years later. But the baby Jesus grew up into adulthood, left his trade as a woodworker or a cabinet maker, and began an itinerant ministry. And then people began to wake up to his mission. He inaugurated his itinerant preaching ministry with an announcement that the kingdom of God had finally arrived just like God had promised Abraham, just like David sang and wrote about in the Psalms, just like the prophets had foretold for centuries, waiting for God's arrival. Jesus said, it's here, the time's fulfilled. And then everywhere he went, he told of God's never-ending, inexhaustible love for all people everywhere no matter what they'd done, no matter how naughty or nice they'd been, no matter how many sins they'd committed or poor choices they'd made or how far from God they they might have felt or how little value they placed in attending church. God said, I love you, period. And then he forgave people. And he just welcomed people back into personal relationship with him. And then Jesus went around meeting needs. He he healed the sick, he cured the lepers, he restored the lame, he gave sight to the blind, he even raised the dead, he fed the hungry, he encouraged the poor, he gave freedom to the demonized, he brought hope to the broken, he restored into the mainstream of life those people who had been previously marginalized. Women, children, servants, tax collectors, prostitutes, Uh, those who, uh, who had suffered racial prejudice and other notorious sinners. That was the company he kept. And then Jesus taught people how to live under his rule. And he told his audiences, this is real life. This is what it looks like when God is king. Friends, Jesus brought great joy everywhere he went. And then after he died a cruel death on a cross, he came back to life three days later. He ascended to God, his father. He sent the Holy Spirit, his personal, powerful, indwelling presence for all of his people, all of his followers, so that all of us could be filled with his very nature. That's called the fruit of the spirit is described in the Bible as love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. The very nature of God is in you because God's presence is now in us. So Christianity is Christ. It's all about Jesus who changes everything. His coming changed everything. With the coming, of Jesus and his kingdom in that first advent, it's like the whole world got turned right side up. A broken, sin-cursed world got turned right side up. The power of sin and the curse that we learned about last week, the curse on people and the earth itself, was broken. And now men and women and children of all ages and races, creeds and colors, can be restored to God, and we can live confidently and securely, at peace, our lives significant and secure in him, that's real life. We can declare, as we did in the opening song today, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing." No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace. He makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. So Christmas can be a season of joy. Not because we get it all perfect, that, not because everybody's gonna just finally be happy, not because our messy and complicated circumstances are gonna change immediately or dramatically or completely, but rather because of what Mary and Elizabeth and the shepherds and the wise men teach us, that the source of real joy in life Asserts the source of joy that we've been searching for in our otherwise messy and complicated, mixed-up lives is Jesus. He's the source. Not religion, not Christianity, not turning over a new leaf, choosing to live better, deciding to clean up your language, quit cussing, and with God's help, live better tomorrow than you did today. All that stuff is great and noble, and you should not ought to do that. You should ought to do that. <laughs> That's what I meant to say. You should and ought to do that. But, but it's about Jesus. He's the one, the real living, ruling, and reigning Jesus gives joy. Extraordinary enthusiasm for life, for being alive. He can give you a profound gratefulness that everything we receive comes from God's hand because of his goodness. Deep delight. That's what he wants to give. And he now offers freely his kingdom to anyone. His inexhaustible, never-ending love, his boundless mercy, his life-changing truth, his miracle-working power, it's freely uh, available to all. No matter who you are, what you've done, how close or far away from God you might feel. It's yours. That's real life. That's what he comes to offer. Real life. Life to the full. What Jesus said was a rich and satisfying life. That's what He wants for you. That's not just a plaque, something you stick on your wall because you're, you, 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 you are a Christ follower. It's not just a slogan you can, you can burnish on your, on your homepage. It's the truth. He wants you to have a real life. A rich and satisfying life. Real life. He wants you to be filled with joy, a profound enthusiasm for being alive a deep sense of gratefulness, because everything you have comes from his hand. He offers you forgiveness, a brand new identity. The old you dies, a new one comes to life in Christ. You have a brand new identity. You you now have a sense of security and significance because of him, not because of what you do or where you work or your place and station in life, but because of him. And then Jesus says, you can just ask him for what you need, whatever it is you need to turn your world right side up again, ask him. Here's what he says. When you live life under his rule, in his kingdom, he says it this way. Matthew 7, in the Sermon from the Hill, the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus gives instructions to those of us who are his followers, he said it this way. Keep on asking, and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Everyone who seeks, finds. to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, if, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. And so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? And then on another occasion in John 16, Jesus said, Ask, using my name, and you'll receive, and you'll have abundant joy. That's not just a platitude. That's just not something preachers say to to whip up emotional frenzy and all. That's the promise of Jesus to his followers. That's what he wants for you. Ask and receive so that your joy can be abundant. That's his heart for you. I pray that this Advent season, God would enlarge the sense of our expectation and our hope and our joy, that God really does mean what he says for you to ask and to seek and to knock and to actually expect that when you ask, it's going to happen. That's the words of Jesus. That's his promise to us. May he fill our Advent season with a sense of expectation in 2014 that it's going to be a year filled with hope and joy. You see, friends, right now, Jesus, the real Jesus, is alive. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is still ruling and reigning the entire world system, even though it looks like in many ways it's broken and out of control because it is. But he is still in charge. He's extending his kingdom all over the world until the day of his second advent, when he returns personally again to bring the kingdom that he brought at the first advent to its full completion. Right now we're living in the overlapping of those two ages, the the present evil age and the coming of the kingdom. It's going to be here in full someday, but right now uh, he's still doing the same things that he started doing when he came the first time in the first advent. He is healing and delivering and answering prayer. And he said, you as my children, I want you to ask and seek and knock and keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking, because when you ask in my name, I'm going to give you abundant joy. So today, Jesus is changing sin and selfishness and bondage and rebellion and guilt and shame to, to forgiveness and new life and freedom. Jesus is changing sickness and disease and weakness into health and strength and soundness of mind and body. He's changing hurt and betrayal and, and uh, painful separation in relationships. Into forgiveness and restoration. He's changing lack and need and unemployment and underemployment into provision and security and our needs being met in Christ. He's changing confusion and purposelessness into hopefulness and guidance and direction. By his Holy Spirit. He's changing isolation and loneliness and fear into the profound, confident sense of belonging into a church community. He's still doing all that stuff. Jesus brings joy. So the first word of Christmas is hope. Second word of Christmas is joy. From the earliest announcements Of the incarnation continuing through history into what all of us as followers of Jesus are now invited into experience, joy, extraordinary enthusiasm for being alive, a deep sense of gratefulness for everything that comes from God. It's yours for the asking as we trust Him. I'm going to finish today by praying the benediction that the Apostle Paul writes for us in Romans, the 15th chapter. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that you'd fulfill that prayer in our lives, that you would fill us completely, with joy and hope joy and peace because we trust in you lord wherever we're at on the journey of trusting you some some of us might feel lord that that we're we're confident and secure our faith is robust and others of us feel lord like like we don't have any and then all of us in between would you come today lord and and move us on the journey filling us with your holy spirit filling us with hope, filling us with joy, filling us with peace. We believe, Lord, that you meant what you promised. These are not empty words. They are the breath and the power of the divine to those of us who are your followers. Cause us to overflow today. And now, Lord, as we lift our hearts and hands to you in song, and as we receive the offering, we pray that you take these gifts for what they are, tokens that we want our life to count for you. Put your blessing, Lord, on on these uh, gifts for you in the work of your kingdom. I pray that you would richly provide for those who have a desire but, but cannot give. We offer them to you, Lord, in your name. Amen.